can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Nicodemus doesn't understand it. He was struggling with the idea of a man being born again. He couldn't understand how a grown man could be born again. How do you do it? What is the, the process? What's the system, Jesus? I already keep 613 religious laws. I live my life by these laws. I'm devoted to the system, Jesus. Are you telling me that there are six or seven more? What's the number? very famous gospel reading this morning, we really have the answer to a question that we don't hear unless we back up a bit uh, to the verses that lead up to John 3.16 and its surrounding uh, verses. The story of Nicodemus who comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness uh, to discuss a few things. This is how uh, John lays it out for us. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? We're not exactly sure why Nicodemus chose to come to Jesus under the cover of darkness. There are, there are a few, uh, probably pretty good guesses out there that scholars make. One is, um, that John loves this metaphor, this image of, of darkness into light. You know, that, uh, Nicodemus comes under the cover of darkness to speak to the one who will be known as the light of the world. And that's how John began his gospel. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Well, that could well be the reason. Uh, another guess is that, you know, Nicodemus was an eminent, respectable, uh, leader of uh, the people of faith. He was a Pharisee. Uh, he was visiting a controversial rabbi. Uh, Nicodemus himself calls Jesus a rabbi. Uh, with and Jesus with no real credentials. Kind of ragtag group. Shabby looking disciples, right? Fishermen and tax collectors. And, and an emerging reputation as a troublemaker. So, you know, maybe Nicodemus comes under the cover of darkness, because he does not want to be seen with Jesus. He doesn't want to be identified with him, connected to him in any way. 
So he sneaks there uh, in the dark. Or maybe it was just simply Nicodemus couldn't sleep. I mean, maybe something was keeping him up at night. Maybe there was just something missing, something that he yearned for or felt called to this Jesus to see if uh, there was something there he could learn. Whatever his reasons were for seeking Jesus out, Nicodemus, we are told, is no ordinary citizen. He is a Pharisee, one of the brotherhood of 6,000, the keepers of the law. Uh, He's said to be a leader of the Jews, thought to be a member of the Sanhedrin, one of only 70 elite religious leaders. A man who committed his life to studying and obeying the religious rules, the laws of God, and holding people accountable to those laws. We talk in Lent about being honest with ourselves and about being honest with God, about our faults, about our shaky faith, about our selfishness, about our fear, about our sin. We speak of turning toward the Lord, metanoia of repentance, turning back toward God. But what does that all really mean to you? I mean, what do we really intend to do or to change? Should we become more religious somehow? Is that what we're after? What would that even look like? There's no doubt that a good religious system strictly adhered to can help you get your life in order. You know, maybe wake up at 6 in the morning for an hour of prayer. Maybe read your Bible for a specified period of time, same time every day. You know, includes worship and study and maybe uh, outreach and service. I mean, a good system and you follow it and you stick to it. Can't be a bad thing. But if that's all that Christianity is about, then we have to ask ourselves some questions. If it's all about a kind of way of life, then, you know, one glaring question that we need answered is why did Jesus have to suffer and die? In fact, if providing some great system or advice for life is the real focus of the mission of Jesus, then why didn't he live longer? Why didn't God have Jesus live more than just 33 years? Why not live as long as Moses or Abraham? Then maybe we'd have, you know, five or six more Gospels other than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? You know, there are, there, there, there are the, some Bibles that have the, the letters of Jesus in red, and some people even refer to themselves as red-letter Christians, by which they tend to mean, I f- follow the, the teachings of Jesus. That's how I order my life. Well, imagine how many red letters there would be in the Bible if there were nine or ten Gospels rather than only four. Nicodemus comes seeking answers about religion and, and keeping the religious laws because that's who he was. It's what he knew. It's what he valued. And Jesus seems to be telling him that being born from above Nicodemus, it comes from outside of you. It is, it is a God thing. It's about relationship more than a religious system that is bent on 
describing who's on the inside of the circle as opposed to who's on the outside of that circle. Inside, you keep the religious laws. You observe the system. Outside, everybody else. A couple of weeks ago, in Mark's Gospel, we read about the day that Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am out there? Words getting out. Jesus is developing a reputation. And they start telling him, what they're hearing out there, and then Jesus asks the questions, but who do you say that I am? And now here stands Nicodemus, under the cover of darkness, asking a bunch of questions of Jesus. How can a man be born when he is old? How can you enter the womb a second time and be born? How can these things be? And through all of these questions, Nicodemus is asking this itinerant Jewish rabbi in the dark. Who are you, Jesus? Who are you? And isn't that the question when it comes down to it? Who is Jesus to you? And I expect that many of us here this morning can identify with Nicodemus. It may well be part of why you're even here. You have some questions. You're hoping to learn something more. Maybe you have some doubts. You may not be entirely, completely, wholeheartedly positive about what you believe about this Jesus. Does that put your mortal soul at risk? I'm not sure that Nicodemus was getting the answers that he thought he wanted or needed from Jesus. But what Nicodemus did get was Jesus himself standing right there with him. He'd come through the darkness seeking, questioning, and in so doing, Nicodemus engages Jesus in one of the longest and most theologically revealing conversations in all of Scripture. Jesus speaks to Nicodemus of wind and birth, two of the most mysterious, uncontrollable earthly phenomena. In meeting Jesus, we are coming face to face with God incarnate, not a religious system. We cannot ultimately define Jesus. He defines us and calls us and claims us and forgives us and invites us into this new community. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you've got to be born from above, a nothing. No one enters the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of flesh is flesh. What is born of spirit is spirit. Nicodemus is struggling with all of this. He can't quite understand it. How do you do it? How? What is this process, Jesus? I have kept 613 religious laws my whole life. We, the Pharisees, are serious about our religion. Are you telling me, Jesus, that there are five or six more that I need to add to the list? Because I'll do it. Nicodemus knew all 613 religious laws by heart. 
The answer has to have something to do with me, he's thinking. Something to do with my understanding, my behavior, my doctrine, my belief system. Jesus answers Nicodemus with the words that Luther called the little gospel, or the gospel in a nutshell. In answer to Nicodemus' questions. For God so loved the world. We could, just, we could just stop there. Because that's not at all what Nicodemus expected to hear. Nicodemus was convinced that God sits on a judgment throne and there is one way to escape that judgment. In fact, there's 613 ways. And you better be dead serious about keeping to this law if you do not want to be condemned by this judging God. And Jesus says, For God so loved the world that God gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Those verbs are action verbs. They are ongoing. They are not completed action. So you could say, for God so loved the world that whosoever is believing in him is having eternal life. For God came not into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. We are determined to take even this good news and bend it into law. To write it on signs and hold it up at football games. By which we mean, if you believe, you've got a chance. But if you don't, there may well be hell to pay. And the gospel has now become a threat. How is this good news? If you do not believe, if you do not believe, then God's going to get you. And God is mad. This is presented all the time and everywhere as gospel. And we do it too, in perhaps more subtle ways. We have this relentless tendency to bend the good news into a threat. You know, Billy Graham, who we recently mourned the loss of, and is famous for calling people to make a decision for Jesus Christ by the millions he preached across the world, inviting people to accept Jesus. This is a good thing to do. I do highly recommend that you accept Jesus. That you embrace God's love for you in Christ and accept Jesus into your heart. This is a good thing. This is not what saves you. If it is, then I can only present it to you as a threat. You better do this or else... That cannot be gospel. That can only be law. 
Billy Graham once said, I am not going to heaven because I have preached to great crowds or read the Bible many times. I'm going to heaven like the thief on the cross. Who said in that last moment, Lord, remember me. You know, this gospel is always under assault. Everywhere we look. And we must hear it daily. We must gather around it and hear it proclaimed. One of my professors called these verses that we have in front of us this morning in John's Gospel and Ephesians the good stuff. This is the good stuff. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. So none of you can brag about it. It is the gift of a gracious God. You say, yes, but you have to open the God offers the gift, but you have to. You have to open the gift. I don't care what it is you say after have to, you have now bent the gospel into a law. This is not easy stuff, folks. It's easy to get this wrong. Yet God is offering to you the opportunity to believe in Jesus. But you have to open it. I have to what? Open it. You could have just as easily said, open this box and there are 613 religious laws in there and you have to keep all of them. I don't care if it's one or it's 613 or it's 10 million. It's either gospel or it's law. And if you tell me I have to open the gift of faith in order to be saved, then you have now shared the law with me. Never a bad thing. The law simply drives me toward Christ where I arrive always and every time as a beggar, as Luther said. For I do not believe that I can by my own understanding or strength believe in the Lord Jesus or come to him. But I'm called and sanctified and enlightened by the Holy Spirit. I can't do it. If you believe in Jesus sitting there this morning, I say, God bless you. What a blessing. If you're sitting there saying, Chad, I doubt it. I don't know. I keep hearing about it. I'm not sure. You know, I think I believe. I want to believe. Sometimes I actually do believe, but I'm just not sure. Then I say, God loves you, hears your confession, declares your absolution, claims you, and forgives you. The two of you, those two people I just described, are sitting next to each other out there. You are both in the same condition. Nicodemus disappears from the story after Jesus shares this atom bomb of a verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever is believing in him should not perish but is having eternal life. Nicodemus just disappears. He's gone. And then he reappears after Jesus has been crucified with a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. They are there, and John tells us they are afraid. Very important detail. They're afraid because it's no safer now being identified with Jesus after he's been put to death than it was beforehand when Nicodemus could barely muster the courage to sneak to him under the cover of darkness. They are there in broad daylight now, afraid, asking if they can 
please, could we have the crucified body of Jesus so that we might lay him in the tomb? You and I should ask ourselves, what is Nicodemus doing there? What's he doing there now? In broad daylight. Risking the same reputation he didn't want to lose back when he snuck to Jesus under the cover of darkness. Why is he there? I have to believe that Nicodemus found himself in this new community that Jesus had come to announce the kingdom of God is at hand. I have to believe that Nicodemus had come to understand that the grace of God is something he can't afford. His 613 religious laws he'd been keeping his whole life didn't even come close. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, Nicodemus. So you can't brag about it. It is the free gift of a gracious God. This is the good stuff. And so there was Nicodemus, part of the new community, willing to throw it all away, make risk it all, his life and his reputation, in order to be identified with this Jesus who at that time, in that moment, had been crucified. And that community was three days away from getting the best news ever proclaimed in human history. That community is the one you're a part of here this morning. And whether you sit there full of faith or you sit there full of doubt, This same Christ went to that cross on your behalf and took that doubt and that selfishness and that brokenness and that fear and that sinfulness. He took it to the cross and died with it so that he might give back to you new life, new resurrected life. This, my friends, is the good stuff. So it's important for us to uh, always be working to to uh, put things in context. And we, we broadened out this morning's scripture a bit into a little wider context. But remember that it all sits in, a, in the larger context of the whole life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So uh, you, you might, you might uh, have noticed in the, in the verses that follow John 17, it, it would almost appear that Jesus is arguing against the whole thrust of my message to you this morning. When it's saying, well, those who do not believe are already condemned because light came in the world and they chose darkness. Yes, that's what Jesus says. Uh, and also, yes, there was uh, Peter out in the courtyard denying that he ever knew Jesus. And also, yes, there was Judas at the table at the Last Supper dipping his bread in the bowl with his Lord before he gave him up for 30 pieces of silver. And yes, here are you and I, uh, after having not lived a perfect life this past week. Uh, everything happens in the context of where Jesus is going, and that is the cross where he takes all of that brokenness, all of that sinfulness, all of that rejection and, and, and selfishness and dies with it. All right. So that soon afterwards, Peter will stand in the midst of the uh, religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, of which Nicodemus was a part, and declare to them that you hung the author of life on the tree. But here's the gospel, and it's available even to you. The context is the 
death of Jesus on the cross where he takes upon himself our sinfulness, our doubt, our brokenness and gives us back a new life. Uh, for I believe that I cannot come to my Lord Jesus or believe on him but, the whole, but that the Holy Spirit calls and, and, and sanctifies me, says Luther in the small catechism. It is all grace. It is all gift. Uh, and we need to hear it over and over and over again. Uh, this is no time for the church to get lazy and apathetic and tired uh, and take for granted the message that we've been given of God's grace in this world. This is a time for the church to hear it and take it out into the world that is thirsting for this message. So have you heard it again this morning. You are saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that none of us can brag about it. This is the free gift of God. And we go in peace to serve the Lord. Thanks. Amazing grace, how sweet.